This is the 32nd in the series of podcasts produced by the British Society for Haematology. This podcast covers the good practice paper on the management of secondary central nervous system lymphoma, which I'll refer to as secondary CNS lymphoma. This podcast is being recorded over Zoom due to the ongoing COVID pandemic, and we apologize for any loss in sound quality that may occur. I'm Kate Stanarski. I'm a consultant hematologist at University College Hospital and lymphoma clinical lead there. I've been a consultant for 17 years and I co-led the CNS Lymphoma Group with Chris Fox that we set up for more than 10 years. We worked with both our UK colleagues but our European colleagues, both in the management of patients with primary and secondary CNS lymphoma. But this good practice paper is focused on the management of patients with secondary CNS lymphoma. I'm grateful for all the co-authors and the discussions we had in the drafting of this manuscript. Secondary CNS lymphoma refers to lymphoma that has spread to the CNS concurrently with or following treatment for systemic lymphoma. There are three clinically distinct scenarios. The first is treatment naive, where patients present with synchronous CNS systemic lymphoma at initial presentation. And then there are two scenarios where patients will have had prior chemotherapy, often with our CHOP, relapsing either solely in the CNS, which is relapsed isolated secondary CNS lymphoma, or concomitant with systemic disease and CNS disease, which is relapsed concomitant secondary CNS lymphoma. Firstly, I will talk about working up such patients and the treatment of the three different entities, also discussing consolidation autograft, as well as restaging and the management of relapsed and refractory disease. I'm gonna first focus on the workup of such patients and much of this may have already been done by neurosurgeons and neurologists. So we would recommend a contrast enhanced MRI of the brain, including diffusion sequences and whole body FTG PET-CT in all patients. We've outlined in our good practice paper about whole spine contrast enhanced MRI, back testicular ultrasound scan, and also about slit lamp examination. Ideally, a biopsy is performed prior to corticosteroids, and we would certainly consider CNS biopsy for patients with treatment-naive secondary CNS lymphoma and relaxed concomitant, but it's not mandated. If you have a tissue biopsy of a concomitant systemic lesion confirming high-grade B-cell lymphoma with characteristic MRI features of CNS lymphoma confirmed by expert neuroradiology review, you don't need a repeat brain biopsy. Certainly for patients who have isolated secondary CNS lymphoma, we would recommend a CNS biopsy. This is especially important for isolated CNS lesions presenting around or more than two years from initial systemic diffuse obesity lymphoma diagnosis. Again, in our good practice paper, we acknowledge some caveats. We would recommend that all confirmed secondary CNS lymphoma cases are discussed at a lymphoma MDT with hemato-oncology 
hematopathology and imaging expertise. Next, I'm going to focus on assessing patients prior to initiating therapy. As you're aware, neurocognitive dysfunction and impaired performance score are frequently caused by CNS lymphoma. Therefore, assessment of eligibility for treatment intensity must also consider pre-morbid physiological fitness as well as their performance score. And importantly, these parameters are independently associated both with early toxicity and treatment-related mortality. To date, we don't use frailty risk scores. These haven't been used um, to discriminate outcomes in secondary CNS lymphoma, but hopefully this will be part of the future. We would consider patients for a short steroid prephase, and additionally, patients with impaired performance score may be considered for a course of rituximab with methotrexate as a first treatment cycle prior to multi-agent chemotherapy. We would also consider initial dose reductions of cytotoxins such as cytarabine, and this is outlined in detail in the good practice paper. Finally, an important thing to consider is that fitness for treatment intensification and consolidation with autologous stem cell transplantation should be dynamically assessed as performance score commonly improves during effective therapy. I'm now going to focus on treatment approaches for patients with secondary CNS lymphoma. The management of secondary CNS lymphoma is informed by the disease scenario, as mentioned at the start, whether the patient has treatment-naive disease or whether they've had prior therapy such as RCHOP and whether they have disease confined to the CNS or concomitantly with systemic disease. The treatment history, the patient's fitness for treatment and their wishes will also inform such decisions. As there are no randomized data comparing treatment regimens for secondary CNS lymphoma, management is largely based on single arm phase two trials. For younger, fitter patients, typically aged less than 70 years, intensive induction, such as with combination chemotherapy, such as matrix, followed by high-dose chemotherapy consolidation with thiotipa-containing regimens. These have been associated with the longest survival rates. Importantly, maintaining dose intensity is associated with improved outcomes, but as mentioned previously, appropriate dose reductions for the first cycle for patients with impaired performance score or for subsequent cycles if there's toxicity such as neutropenic sepsis is important. If you use matrix, this is usually by omitting one of the doses of cytarabin. And this is outlined again in the good practice paper. I'm now going to focus on how we treat patients, starting initially with the treatment of patients with treatment-naive secondary CNS lymphoma. In our good practice paper, we mention Marietta, the ILS G42 study, which is the largest prospective trial in secondary CNS lymphoma and patients were recruited in the UK. It included 75 patients across all three secondary CNS lymphoma scenarios up to the age of 70 and up to a performance score of three. It included both matrix and RICE and the plan was consolidation autograft. Much detail is mentioned in our manuscript. Generally, we do not recommend this for patients aged over 70 
And in this scenario, we would consider rituximab with methotrexate and two doses of cytarabin. And this is informed by the German phase two trials, the Marta and Morita studies. For treatment-naive patients, an alternative is the use of the ARCODOX MRIVAC study. This included 10 patients with secondary CNS lymphoma, many with leptomeningeal disease, but this is a treatment to consider, certainly for patients under the age of 50 and with a performance score of less than two, because those who were over 50 with a, a poor performance score, these were independent predictors of morbidity and mortality with that regimen. For patients who are not fit enough for these regimens, another consideration would be R-CHOP with high-dose methotrexate. I've mentioned previously about appropriate dose reductions, both at the start, at the end, and also ongoing dynamic assessment of fitness for consolidation autograft. Secondly, I'm going to focus on patients with relapsed, isolated secondary CNS lymphoma. These patients typically do have better outcomes than those with concomitant systemic relapse after prior RCHOP therapy. And matrix alone is a potential induction regimen for these patients. Marietta is another combination to consider, but there's a less certain role for the RICE in this setting. So we have used four courses of, R, of matrix with the aim to get to consolidation autograft with good outcomes reported in our, in our groups of patients. Patients unsuitable for intensive therapy should always be considered for clinical trials or radiotherapy or novel therapies. Finally, I'm going to focus on the group of patients with relapsed concomitant secondary CNS lymphoma. So this group have had prior RCHOP, most commonly, and have both systemic and CNS disease. This has historically been associated with poor clinical outcomes. The Marietta trial reported a 14% two-year progression-free survival for the 28 patients in this setting, but this is also consistent with other studies of this population. Certainly, these patients should be considered for clinical trials, radiotherapy, and novel therapies, such as CAR-T, which I'll mention later. Previous reports have suggested an improved outcome for those patients who receive consolidation, but importantly, the majority of patients in the Marietta study did not proceed to autograph consolidation because of their poor response to the initial chemotherapy. The fitness for intensive treatment, the anticipated benefit, but also the patient's wishes must all be taken into consideration. And in some settings, a palliative approach may be more appropriate, but as I've mentioned, consideration for clinical trials is important. There is some evidence from prospective clinical studies, as well as real world evidence of potential efficacy of CAR-Ts in this setting. And this is a treatment modality that shows some exciting efficacy. I'm now going to discuss response assessment. This should follow international guidelines and encompass both the CNS and systemic lymphoma components to optimally guide therapy. Certainly for patients who present with both CNS and systemic disease, we would recommend restaging after two or three courses with both contrast enhanced MRI, including diffusion sequencing, 
as well as whole body CT or PET scan. For disease confined to the CNS, restaging should include an MRI of the brain, but importantly, all imaging should be repeated prior to autograph consolidation and following completion of therapy to assess whether further consolidation such as radiotherapy is indicated. I'm now gonna focus on consolidation. As mentioned, there's dynamic assessment for fitness for autografting, but also restaging is important. We know from our recent UK data that with Germany and Italy on 134 patients, that patients who proceed to autograft and they're in CR or PR on PET CT scan on MRI have a very good outcome with thiotipa-based conditioning. We have included patients in this analysis up to the age of 77, so age should not preclude such considerations, but fitness and response to therapy will guide these decisions. I'm now going to mention the role of radiotherapy for patients with secondary CNS lymphoma. We know that whole brain radiotherapy achieves a high response rate in CNS lymphoma, although most patients will experience relapse, particularly when this modality is the sole treatment modality. It shows efficacy, but patients should be carefully counseled prior to whole brain radiotherapy, as those achieving durable remissions are at risk of developing cognitive changes with loss of independence. This is especially true in those older patients who may experience a high rate of age-dependent neurotoxicity with severe and debilitating effects. A clinician with expertise in radiotherapy for CNS lymphoma should be involved in the MDT decision-making. Finally, I will talk about novel and emerging therapies. There are no established standards of care for patients who have failed multiple prylines or intensive secondary CNS lymphoma-directed therapy. And the prognosis is poor with conventional approaches in those unsuitable for further intensive therapy. CD19-directed CAR T-cell therapy has been shown to be effective. And although early studies excluded patients with CNS lymphoma due to concerns about increased CNS toxicity, these concerns have not been realized either in the prospective clinical trials or the real-world data. We have a number of patients that have been reported to have been treated with response rates in the order of around 80% in both primary and secondary CNS lymphoma, although in some settings, the responses are short-lived. Small molecule inhibitors such as IMIDs, so lenalidomide if accessed on compassion access, or BTK inhibitors such as ibrutinib or zanabrutinib, these have been shown to penetrate the CNS with promising activity against CNS lymphoma if they can be accessed. They're not currently licensed for secondary CNS lymphoma, but may be considered as part of a clinical trial or a compassionate use scheme where available. Finally, I will mention palliative approaches as best supportive care is aimed at controlling symptoms and preserving quality of life. And we've outlined approaches including corticosteroids, palliative radiotherapy, intrathecal therapy, but importantly, balancing any procedural risks of this therapy with its potential anticipated benefits. In conclusion, 
secondary CNS lymphoma represents a spectrum of complex clinical scenarios and needs to be approached mindful of both the disease-specific scenarios, but also the patient-centric factors. Whilst a proportion of patients can be cured with intensive approaches, older and frailer patients and those with concomitant relapse represent groups with a high unmet clinical need. Collaborative research efforts amongst cooperative groups with collaboration with industry and translational scientists are urgently needed to further improve outcomes for patients with secondary CNS lymphoma. I'm grateful for all my co-authors as outlined in the manuscript and for BSH who supported the writing and drafting of this manuscript. For further reading, we've been involved in a number of review articles. We would also recommend other podcasts in this series and thank you for listening.